Good afternoon. We're coming to you from Ampere Studios today. I'm Kristen Cannon. I'm a learning and development specialist that's working with people and culture at Ampere to help tell the stories of Ampere employees. And this project dovetails with the work that Mahesh Badhaf does. He is a performance engineer at Ampere with over 20 years of experience in architecture. He's on the architecture team, but he's most known around Ampere for this podcast, which was his brainchild, and he started it. And so Mahesh has been interviewing leadership and and helping interns take over the mic. But today we're going to turn it back around on him and we're going to ask him some questions and find out a little bit more about his life. Yeah, my name is Mahesh. I am happy to be here and I'm really excited to chat with you, Kristen. And we're in the fancy room today. And we're in the fancy Ampere Studios room. <laughs> we're moving up. All right. So Mahesh, you have been interviewing all the talent at Ampere. So I think it's time we turn the microphone around and ask you a few questions. Now I'm in the hot seat. Yeah, yeah. But I think you have a lot of stories to tell, and you're so good at teasing out other people's stories that we rarely get to hear yours. So we can maybe capture some of those today. Sounds good. All right. I'm going to go right to the source in theater, I remember an exercise being around like first memories and having to like go deep and go to your first memory. So what is your first memory of realizing you really liked to figure out how things worked or you wanted to like take something apart and figure out how it worked? You know, the first thing I took apart was a mechanical pencil. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I was uh, putzing around with those... Uh, writing utensils. And you know, my dad's an engineer. So he'd be really excited about the new mechanical pencil that they gave him at work for drafting. And then he'd come home and you know, every couple of months he'd have like, oh, look at this new model that we have. And I'd you know, go take a look and see how oh, it's clicking and the little mechanism for bringing the little lead piece out. And, and that little spring, if you lost the, the spring, spring, you couldn't put it I know. Together. Yeah. And a lot of times, uh, the newer ones that had a little window inside, you could see how many pieces of lead there were. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the coolest thing. That was like high technology. Okay. So yeah. how old do you think you were at that time? Oh, that's like four or five. Yeah. Pretty young. Yeah. And what kind of engineering did your dad do? He's a mechanical engineer. Okay. And were you aware? Like, obviously, he was interacting with you bringing things home, but but as you grew up, were you aware of the work he actually did or was it pretty abstract or vague? I didn't quite understand, but dad was kind of handy at home a lot. You know, he'd fix the furnace or fix the oven and this and that. And he'd also mechanical. So he'd, he'd learn how to fix the car engine. And a lot of times I'd be playing outside and he'd go change the oil and he'd be like, son, come, let me tell you what this carburetor does. And I'd be like, no, I, I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> There's a limit to what what you get excited about from from uh, your parents, I guess. Yeah. And for you, when did it shift from being something that was a casual interest to something you thought, well, I would want to study this or I would want to pursue this as even a career? Yeah, you know, I have always been interested in optimizing and making systems work better i tend to find problems and try to solve them and that comes down to like just an interest in uplifting the status quo i think and it's like any realm you know I, you know my wife kind of 
freaks out when I'm trying to figure out what flights to take to you know go see her parents and and I'm like juggling you know two or three different dates and weekends and uh, which airline and where are we going to connect through and this and that and she's like no don't worry about it just just take that one it's easy just buy it and we'll be done with it and move on with our lives and and I want to like kind of squeeze out the you know, the best performance kind of out of it. So what's the um, best flight you the can best, possibly best get flight, for... the best miles with the best experience. So right. uh, I don't know, I guess there's like a optimization problem that I, I'd like to, to, to solve for many years. I recognized that I'm good at making things better, but maybe not so good at making things mm. period. <laughs> yeah. That's an <laughs> right? interesting it's a, distinction. It's a difference between creating and then uh, optimizing. Right. And I think at Ampere, uh, I've gotten to dive into actually making things as well. Mm-hmm. Different components inside of our CPU design since they were, it was kind of a green field, mm-hmm. a blank slate. And uh, everybody has to come to come to the table and figure out how to draw on this canvas and what do we use our flops for. And mm-hmm. So in one sense, you could have stayed within that optimization focus and continue because there's always room for improvement you can always continue to have the next iteration be a little bit better and there's plenty of work to be done in that was that part moving into more create you know creating and impacting product was that part of the draw that brought you to Ampere or was that just as you got involved in work here that that ended up unfolding for you yeah I think it came along as and unfolding. Mm-hmm. Honestly, when I reached out to kind of investigate Ampere, I was in a place where I, I wanted to go into a creative direction. And I was very seriously thinking about quitting to go into media production. Mm-hmm. And I I reached out to Atik and we had a really nice lunch. And I said, you know, I, I don't know if I'm in a, I'm in a funk Mm-hmm. engineering funk or is this like kind of the end of engineering and a kind of a, a inflection point for me to go into media and you know he kind of thought about it a lot said that there's many different pathways for me he then put something on the table that I never would have thought possible and he offered me the chance to do both at Ampere he's like I, I see no reason why you can't contribute in these two ways uh, at our company. And I think that shows his ability to to see the big picture and understand that the technical stuff is important, but the communications aspect and kind of the marketing aspect is also important to share with the world what we're doing, why we're doing it, and you know, kind of go from there. So I've had this tremendous opportunity to actually sit here behind a microphone with you as part of my day job. Mm-hmm. The execs have allowed me to carve out this time to share stories of Ampere folks. And I think it it helps not only people inside the company, but people outside the company to identify and to just recognize what we're trying to do. Absolutely. And for people who might be listening who don't know your full story, you're an award winning filmmaker like you're <laughs> you're on your way you're on a you're already showing at film festivals you've won awards you have a documentary that is is gaining a lot of attention and it focuses on 
craftsmanship and, and the art. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about some of your recent filmmaking endeavors? Yeah, this was actually one of the biggest projects that I've done is this, this short documentary I made about a artist who I know who, who has a studio here in North Portland. And uh, he's also an award-winning designer, furniture designer and lighting designer. And I've known him for many years, uh, about 14 years, I think. And when he was kind of coming up through construction, he's a construction worker and tile worker, he had a bunch of ideas about design. And uh, about four years ago, he started venturing into this realm of craftsmanship. And alongside of him, about four years ago, I started going really deep into video production. So it was kind of natural for us to, to connect and be like, hey, look, you're on this path. I'm on this path. How about I interview you and maybe see what comes out of that? Will you be a guinea pig? I asked him, will you be a guinea pig for my little short documentary? And he's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Let's see where it goes. And I, I was able to get him in a studio to chat about his his furniture and his ethos and his mental process. And it could have ended at that point, but being a you know, understanding documentary filmmaking, you want to get B-roll of the person actually doing the craftsmanship. So I ventured into a studio, me and my camera and a couple partners to help me uh, help me film him. We went to the studio, we saw his craft, documented that. And then I, I realized I was onto something. And so he was building a table and it took him six months to build the table. And I went back to his studio, I think a total of 12 times to document document him, him making that table and his mental process and his mental attitude for finishing that table and getting it out to the world. And what had happened was that it's, it's one of these like Heisenberg kind of things, like when you inspect, or not Heisenberg, it's uh, Schrodinger. When you, and you, when you inspect a system, then you might perturb it, mm-hmm. right? So as I'm filming him, his behavior changes. And his mental attitude changes and he starts to introspect on why is he doing the work that he does. Mm-hmm. And that made me realize why do, why am I doing the work that I do? And we kind of came together and, and put together a documentary that kind of speaks to creativity and the mental process and detachment from the end result. And I think that's why it's being held in high regard. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, being able to examine oneself and understand your motivations and where you're drawing ideas from is is extremely helpful. I started in a BFA before I moved over into education and social research. And I remember thinking, if only everyone could go through BFA critique, where you put your heart up on a wall oh, yeah. <laughs> or up on a stand and everybody tells you kind of like what they're reading and what they're seeing and what they're understanding. And and it's an incredible skill set to be able to take on other ideas to examine how your intent is actually impacting. And I think that there's so many ways that those can be powerful tools in even other fields. So I could see how so much of of what you're taking from art and your creative endeavors can inform and, you know, give you extra material, extra, you know, tools 
for engineering. And that must be a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we touch upon in this documentary is the concept of imposter syndrome. I didn't know what that term meant just two or three years ago, but it somehow became, you know, every year there's there's kind of like one thing that, that kind of defines, at least in, in my life, I'm like, I'm working on this. And in 2018, it was really like imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And this is idea of like, do I belong here? Mm-hmm. Am I allowed to be doing the work that I'm doing? Or is someone going to come and yank that carpet under from underneath me and be like, oh, this is not where you belong, right? And I really felt that way. And I think it's, it's common to many artists in many fields, but it's also common in engineering. And I remember uh, coming up as a junior, junior engineer. And there's this inflection that you have to make when you're offering up your ideas and you're kind of meek and you're reserved because you don't know if you have a good idea, right? But you have to kind of like get over the fact that you do have good ideas and people want to listen to you. And once you kind of turn the dial and you make that inflection, you've come into a completely new world where uh, you can come to the table with your brand new technical idea or process idea, whatever it is, and people will listen to you. Mm-hmm. And and so that inflection is something that happens internally. And what has to manifest externally is your ability to communicate that to your peers. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I recognize happens in junior engineers. Uh, and one of the things that we did last summer in our intern, or we had a class of interns that came on board. I offered each one of them an opportunity to do a podcast and interview a senior leader that they look up to in this company behind a microphone. And it was so crazy because each one of them, they had never done a production before. They had not heard their voice recorded before. Mm-hmm. And it's so eye-opening or, you know, ear-opening, I guess, in a sense. <laughs> sure. Right? Because they, they listen to themselves and they say, what? I sound like that? That's crazy. I don't like it. I don't like the way it sounds. I don't like the timber. I don't like my diction. I, and it's, it's it's a hump that everybody needs to navigate and overcome to get to the other side where you're comfortable with your voice mm-hmm. or you know how to fix whatever problems you have in your communication ability. Giving that opportunity to people who are junior, doing it as early as you can in, in your life, I think that's a big win. Yeah. And and like a lot of things, it's it's finding practice. There's been several interesting points of research that have suggested public speaking is like one of the top fears that people have. People are afraid to stumble in front of their peers just to be up on a stage and have a blank moment. And so the more you're giving yourself that opportunity to practice, you're you're finding your kind of like your way, your voice. But going back to that confidence of knowing that you belong, I think there's a couple parts of that that have been exciting for me to see at Ampere, and it's part of why I, I came to do some projects with people and culture and partner with with what you're doing and, and what they're doing, and that is looking at building a tech culture that is for everyone, that does things in a different way than maybe has been done, and being very forward-thinking about how do we get the best out of everyone and create a space that gives everyone 
the platform Mm -hmm. to actualize, to be their best, to bring their best. And part of why you and I connected and started having these conversations is because you've taken, you've kind of raised your hand and taken a role as a mentor and a champion for culture. And alongside of the capturing of stories is what's really happening is this is a new company that's forming its identity, forming its culture, and you're playing a big part of that. So would you speak to, you know, you mentioned the work you're doing with mentoring interns, but Ampere as a whole, like how is that culture forming in a way that's moving in a, in a fresh new direction? Yeah, it's amazing to be in this nascent environment where it really is. I mentioned before there's a green field on for our silicon, but there's also this green field for the culture of the company and how we interact with each other and what processes we put in to help one another out and uplift one another. And to me, that's part and parcel of creating a great working environment. And I feel like I was bottled up in a way before I came to Ampere and you know, the execs here just kind of like uncorked me. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this creative energy is flowing. But even that dialogue, I mean, I knew of, right, these executives when I was at Intel, but I never even spoke to any of them. So even the dynamic of that free access of moving back and forth between layers of the company, that's unusual if for someone coming from maybe a larger Absolutely. Um, you know, company yeah. structure. Yeah, I think the the small, tight-knit nature of our teams allows for this kind of ability to navigate between different uh, departments. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were just talking with Travis and William, and, you know, one is a hardware engineer working in the software realm, another one's a software engineer helping make our hardware better, and they sit next to each other. And the tooling aspect of their jobs, they kind of use the same processes and and uplift one another in that way of sharing knowledge. And we have the ability to cross-pollinate. Mm-hmm. And it's we, we're somewhat expected to put on multiple hats mm-hmm. and encouraged to do so, which is totally different than a company where you're siloed and you're unable to go beyond your small team to actually impact in my prior work, I was literally slapped on the hand for kind of you know going outside of my boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, every door I knocked on to try to do a wonderful collaboration, it, the, the door started slamming on me. You know, and it got to the point where I'm like, well, there's no need for me to even try anymore. Mm-hmm. What I hear you describing is this attitude of possibility mm-hmm. versus um, conformity and. I know that at a larger company, because all of the layers are so separated, that ideas get lost, but also everyone is afraid to step on something because they don't have the whole picture. I I remember feeling like it was very much like that parable of blind men and an elephant. It's like everybody has one little part, but nobody has the whole part. And if they do they're at some level where they're not communicating with the people that are trying to understand the one part. And what I hear you describing is you're able to get all of those different views in a room, put the piece of the puzzle together and move quickly. And because you have access to leadership, 
you can have a decision quickly and yeah. move forward without 10 different PowerPoints going back and forth, back and forth, and maybe getting seen or not seen. Right, right. And it may be that we, we still don't see the entire elephant, but that's not the point. Mm -hmm. The point is to make that decision as fast as you can so you can move to the next room and see the next elephant. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we do that very well at this company. Uh, there's been so many decisions made at the lowest rungs. And to that point, the reason why it can be done that way is because the leadership trusts the engineers. Mm -hmm. And it starts with the entire culture of the company is kind of founded upon that trust. Mm -hmm. Right? Do the best you can with the ability that you have. Mm -hmm. And you can't do any better than that. Right? That's the trust. And with the kind of collaboration and optimism I've seen, I think Ampere has attracted a lot of gutsy people, but they're savvy people. And yeah, everyone I meet is incredibly optimistic. So I've heard you ask this question of other people. <laughs> I'm going to turn this question back on you. What is it that you see that gives you so much hope and anticipation that this endeavor, this investment you're making in Ampere is going to succeed? What are the factors that you're excited about? Yeah, we're all embarking on this great journey. And the fact that we're doing it together, we're all, we're all in this boat and we're learning and we're growing. And we're, since we are together, I mean, the journey by itself is amazing, mm -hmm. right? You could just stop it right there. And whatever happens, it, look at what we've already experienced, right? Look at how much we've already grown as people, as friends, as colleagues, right? Now, if we continue in this direction and everybody does their part of the puzzle, they get their part complete, then we have a real chance of disrupting an industry that is ripe for this, this kind of you know, new company, mm -hmm. right? There's the, the incumbents and the hegemony of the products that are there. There's customers who are rooting for a company like us to succeed so that they can have alternative sources for their products. And I think one of the things that is so fascinating is that there's not only room for disruption, but there's so much growth. There's room for a, a lot of yeah. kind of a lot of different players in this space because the data center growth is astronomical. Mm -hmm. It's it's pretty in, intense. I know there are things you can't talk about, which is just fine. But are there specific problems you're getting to solve right now that have you most excited, um, especially around what we're going to see in the near future coming out from Ampere? We've talked a lot about efficiency. And if we want to unveil that a little bit, we can say, you know, I, I was really excited to come here and see that everyone has their own war stories and the understanding of problems. You know, we, you know, we know how to put a CPU out. Mm -hmm. The team here knows how to do that. But how do you do it in a more efficient manner? So in my realm, right, we're making simulators, we're writing some software, and we have the ability to use open source tools and software for that goal and the ability to use continuous integration tools such as GitLab to uh, facilitate that process. Mm -hmm. These are industry standard methodologies for doing agile development. And so the, the, the pathway that we're on is 
it's seen in a lot of other software companies, mm-hmm. right? Maybe not hardware companies, mm-hmm. but we're using methodologies that we found through cross-pollination of chatting with other other people or the different jobs that we've had and bringing them together to use them in a way that maybe were not thought of before. And already it, it seems like Ampere has accelerated the, the time between design and production and the steps are being accelerated. Um, and it seems like we're well on our way to impact that kind of agile movement within like how do you bring a CPU to bear in like under a year? That seems intense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a matter of, you know, getting those building blocks and putting them together. The attitude of the people who do the integration to make sure that integrated stock actually works and there's not blame being put upon one side or the other of the integration. A lot of times people are trying to place blame, but you know, for us, we find the problem and solve it together, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on. And I think that's part of the attitude for solving problems together. Yeah. And what I heard you describing a, a moment ago was keeping a growth mentality, a growth mindset, and having a learning and development background. My antenna poked up. <laughs> and I think that that is so closely connected to innovation, you know, we know from psychology, like a lot of a lot of psychology is helping us understand that when people are stressed, when they're in survival mode, when they're defending their turf, they're taking a more narrow view. They're losing so many possibilities, yep. and nurturing and cultivating a work environment that is open and excited and has that growth mentality is also ensuring that people are going to be able to have those best ideas and bring those best ideas together. What are other ways you find from a personal side that you keep learning and keep growing? Do you have, are there specific things you do to just keep in touch with all the quick, you know, all the technology changes, all of the new information? Do you have mentors? Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's so many people in this company that I, w- I would call a mentor. Mm-hmm. It may not be a formal relationship, but I tend to observe as much as I can and not only observe what people do, but their behaviors and how they present what they've accomplished and how they integrate and how they interact with customers. And I would say most of what I've learned is through watching the people who have come before me. And it's another great aspect about Ampere is that there's so many people here to watch. Mm-hmm. Everybody's doing something great. And it's not just the people senior to me. It's the people who are junior to me who are doing crazy things with new software that I have never used before and putting together clusters of machines in a quicker time than I could have done in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm inspired by watching everybody and what they are able to accomplish. And, you know, Ampere with a with a culture where we don't have so many PowerPoint meetings, we don't have bureaucracy. It's just a bunch of people who have gotten together to do great work. Mm-hmm. And that that culture is beneficial for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a moment to rewind and think back on some of your early years before you 
before you started working and you were still learning as a student. And thinking about creativity and technology, you went to Brown, which is a school I have a lot of respect for. And some of the stories from your experience <laughs> in Brown are a lot of fun. So I, uh, I feel like we, we've got to like at least, bring you know, those out. yeah, we got to at least break a few of those. So, so when you were a student, you were learning and learning from your peers, what were some of the ways that you got to explore technology and kind of, you know, cut your teeth, so to speak, in yeah. engineering? I was lucky to have enrolled at a point when a group of like-minded students decided to come together and create a program house that's a residential community called Technology House. Okay. And so I, I got to be in the second year. Uh, I, I was there for year two, three, and four of Technology House. And the, the great thing is that it's still there, right? Year eight, 19, 20, whatever it is now, there is still a group of students who, who get together with a like-minded reason for exploring technology. And they're living, breathing day in, day out. It's, it's like immersed in their life. It's immersed in a way that, you know, when I was there, we had people who are English majors, classics majors, musicians who were in this technology house. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily that you're a computer scientist or an engineer. You just have a proclivity for learning and growth and tinkering. Mm-hmm. I would say tinkering is the most important aspect okay. there. And uh, we would definitely get in trouble for some of the things we did. But the 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 school really loved us mm-hmm. because in comparison to some of the other houses, the frat houses, we were actually a dry house. Uh, we didn't serve alcohol at our parties. And we were kind of... Uh, you just we were, had hoverboards. We had, we had hoverboards, we had lighting and, and things. So one of the things that we did, when you, when you live in a dorm, there is this laundry machine, laundry machines downstairs, and you live two, two, three floors up. And every time you take your laundry basket down, three floors of stairs, you realize that the two laundry machines are full, and you can either sit there and wait for half an hour or go back up, right? And so it's kind of a pull-driven situation. Uh, so we were able to understand that coming out from the back of the laundry machine was this five volt cable that would tell you whether or not it was in use or not. So some of us got together and created this little relay and attached it to some some network and we were able to get this laundry machine online. So then you could log into the tech house server and do a, a, a quick uh, update on whether or not the laundry machine and the dryers were available from the comfort of your own dorm room, right? Very so, nice. so that's that's the kind of thing that we would do. I think we got in trouble for that because people thought we were trying to steal laundry because you know you had to swipe your card and so on. But we were like, no, no, we're just observing. We're not trying to <laughs> inject any, any yeah. uh, money onto the onto the accounts. Another thing that we did was we had these little uh, wireless doorbell clickers, and we took those one of the wireless doorbell head units and attached it to our door front. And on the inside of the door, there's actually a little button for um, handicapped accessible. If you push it, then the door opens for you, mm-hmm. right? And so that, that was a, a kind of a way to facilitate getting in and out quicker. So if you come up to the outside of the technology house door and you have one of these special doorbells that you have wired up, you can push that and the door will magically open for you and you can go inside. 
And this is all fine and dandy. You know, we gave like 10 or 11 of these little doorbells out to, to everyone, the little, the little clicker. And it, it worked fine for about three or four days until one day, uh, one night, actually at two o'clock in the morning, that door started kind of opening, closing over and over again, right? Some some wire had been shorted in our in our little system. And of course, the plant operations folks saw that, well, why is this door being opened and closed every three seconds at two o'clock in the morning? And so they, they come and they check it out and they're like, well, this, this is kind of janky. And what are these wires here? <laughs> Why? What have you guys done? And so we got, we got a little talking to by the dean. We had to go to the dean's office and explain what we did and why we did it. And well, but you failed fast. And, so you could, you know, yeah, come we up with another, another prototype for a door opener. Yeah. This is, this is the great stuff is, you know, ha- hacking your environment mm-hmm. to, to suit you. Uh, optimizing it in such a way that uh, you know is beneficial to to many people. I think our heart was there, the spirit was there, and sometimes the bugs get in the way. But hopefully, you know, I'll I'll go and ask the folks who live there now if they have a better situation, <laughs> a better door opener, <laughs> a better door opener. But I mean, you, it sounds like there were lots of projects that happened there, and you know, the brief description I I heard about it before it just it struck me that there was a real joy of like you said, making like this, this commitment to what's possible, what can we do together, and then pulling together to make it happen. So it sounds like a wonderful kind of start to engineering. And I can't help but wonder how much of that collaborative, joyful nature just kind of stayed in your work, or at least informed that early mindset of how you wanted to work. Yeah, you know, when I started at college, I was a math major, because I love math. Mm-hmm. But somewhere along the way, the math started becoming more of a chore, and I, I realized I didn't like it. And so I switched over to some science, I think pre-med, and then that kind of like lost its flavor too. But while this was all happening, I was inside Technology House, Tech House, and I was hanging out with people who were recompiling the Linux kernel. We were you know, make, putting Tetris on the side of the science library. We we're doing all these crazy things, and that was the joy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I finally woke up one summer and I'm like, well, what am I doing? I, I should go learn computer science mm-hmm. and actually make this worthwhile monetarily as well. Sure. <laughs> if I'm going to be doing it, I might as well get paid to do it. Sure. So I think that's where that came from. My first few jobs, they were just so joyful. And the, the people who I interacted with were great. I have nothing bad to say about you know those those interactions. And... You know, my, my most recent job uh, before this one, I think I stayed there long enough to kind of see it change and inflect in a way that I didn't, I didn't care for anymore. Mm-hmm. And the joy had been lost. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, coming here to Ampere, I've reinvigorated that part of my, my brain mm-hmm. and my mind to go and rediscover, you know, the growth mindset and share that with other folks now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I feel like every time we have an initiative or an event, you're there. And sometimes I wonder if you even have time to sleep. <laughs> but it's like your energy is like powering the, you know, it's keeping the lights on. Like you have a lot of energy that you devote. It's it's wonderful work. when your energy aligns fully with other people's energy and the energy of the company. And so when, when you're kind of going parallel like that, mm-hmm. It just comes from inside. You don't need that. You know, I don't drink coffee. It was a huge surprise. You're like, well, where do you get this energy? Well, it's just 
from the enthusiasm of doing great work. Yeah. Working with great people and doing a great job, you know, and seeing the result of that and taking that journey with the people that I enjoy being around. And if you talk to Atik, you'll see that he he has exactly the same ethos, right? He came out of retirement to go and start a semiconductor company. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, I want to spend time with people that I enjoy being around. It's there, simple as that. There are a lot of, there are quite a few people at that at Ampere that are not very good at retirement. <laughs> <laughs> There's no class that they give in how to retire. They're right? like, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to retire, but we're going to go work harder and more excited than we ever have work on, you know, the biggest project we've ever worked on, Yeah, which is wonderful because they bring so much knowledge and wisdom. There's a real sense that people have confidence in our leadership and the vision that's being shared. So if I understand correctly, your wife is an engineer? We met in computer science grad school. Okay. Okay. So, yes, she's so an she, engineer. She's also a lawyer. A lawyer and, and engineer. To do IP litigation. Yeah. Okay. So how have you found the the ability to share? You know, you both have careers. How do you manage that? And how have you learned from each other? How's that worked out? I learned so much from her and watching her. She's also a mentor mm-hmm. in, in this way. And it's great to be able to come home and chat about technical topics and personnel topics and, you know, mental issues and so on, both at work and at home. I mean, these you know, I, I give her so much credit for dealing with me. <laughs> uh, it's it's really amazing to have a life partner who's able to also be aligned with you in that way, right? And I hope that I'm as supportive to her in her career and her uh, growth and you know the adventures that she goes on. She always calls them adventures. You know, every <laughs> every time we we change jobs or we move to a new location or you know even if, you know go traveling, these are all adventures. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I can share them with someone who I love, that just makes it a lot more exciting and fun. Mm-hmm. Do you find though that working in the same field, you're talking shop a lot, or do you have to? kind of cultivate a space that's like a space away from technology? I think one of the things we do really well is balance. Mm. There's, you know, walking this fine line of, hey, I need time to work on my creative stuff and carving that space out. But also like, hey, I need time from you to help me work through this thing that happened at my job. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we could both be there for each other and we have the vocabulary and the understanding of one another's fields to the extent when that we can actually give valuable feedback. Mm-hmm. That is really amazing to me. We're technical enough in each other's realms. You know, one really funny thing that happened was, you know, she was working on a litigation case where she had hired consultants to go and analyze the performance of some Java software. And she was on the phone, she's taking this call from home, and I overheard her talking to the, the consultant about how they had to run this benchmark three times to get the median score and which benchmarks to run and why. And uh, you know, the, she hung up the call. And I'm like, hey, you know, that's exactly what I do at work. <laughs> 
I could be your consultant. And she's like, yeah, I know. I, I, I've heard you talk about all this stuff. And, and it's, it's really funny, right? Yeah. That, that uh, we're intersecting in that way and we can help each other through every, every layer, right? Not just like low level technical, a high level. Um, it's, you know, I'm, I'm like at a loss for words to, to say how close we've gotten in all these realms, but still being able to say, hey, honey, I need some time to do my own thing mm-hmm. for, for a few hours and getting that space. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of trust there. Yeah. And I and it sounds like there's understanding, right? Being able to, I, I feel like having worked in technology has given me an appreciation for the work that, you know, my partner, my husband does mm-hmm. in the sense of like, I understand the demands and the stress and what is put upon him. So there's kind of a empathy yep, <laughs> that absolutely. can be there that maybe wouldn't have been if we were in in two different, right. you know, two two different spaces. But but that's wonderful that you've been able to both have robust careers. And it sounds like you've figured out how to support each other so that you both can go full speed ahead without. You know, I'm, I'm sure you make compromises at times, but that at the end of the day, you both have had careers you've wanted, which is great. Yeah, and there's always hiccups and there's always issues, and and uh, you know, you work through those together. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, I'm sure you know exactly. You know, a new mother. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's so many things that there's, are life happening. Is, life is messy, and it's really good to be a person who's willing to examine yourself and talk through things because life is life can get crazy and change as you know faster than you can keep up but speaking of you know change in the future you've started this podcast we have a few released into the wild some more in the pipeline what are what are your hopes for what what's next what do you see happening with this particular endeavor and this project yeah, you know, I, it blows my mind that we have 10, 15 episodes in. You know, this is probably the 16th or 17th. You know, I, I can't count, but how crazy is that? To have a startup company, Ampere, come out with an employee-generated audio stream, stories inside and out the company so that people can know what we're all about. Yeah, That never happens. And I've gotten feedback from people in the industry saying this is something brand new. Mm -hmm. And that really excites me because it shows that we're really lifting that fog of war. We're pushing the boundary and trying something. And who knows what's going to happen? This is one big experiment, Mm -hmm. right? It's an adventure. It's another adventure, (laughs) right? It's one big experiment. It's an adventure. And we're, we're taking this adventure together. What we've done so far in the podcast is... We've interviewed senior leaders. We've interviewed, uh, we've had interns on the program interview their mentors, and we've started doing some deep dives into technical discussions, mm-hmm. into design verification, into DevOps, into board manufacturing. And these are kind of uh, different topics related to uh, CPU manufacturing, right? What does it take to get a SOC product out the door. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different aspects that you can that you can touch upon. I'm hoping to get as many as we can just so that we can document 
what it is that CPU developers do, CPU designers do in their in their day to day jobs. Yeah. So part of this is educational mm-hmm. for the next generation of architects and designers and verification engineers to share how a semiconductor company operates, how we execute, and you know not to divulge any secrets, mm-hmm. but to give it give a sense of what it's like to work in this industry. Yeah. I asked earlier about modes of learning or ways to stay on top of things. And for myself, I found podcasts are probably the number one way I stay in touch with information. And it's so helpful because I can, you know, stream it through my car. I have it on my phone. I stop, start as needed, pick right back up. And I feel like everything from finance to technology to the news, I'm consuming in podcasts these days. So it, you know, I'm not the only one. It's a wonderful resource for learning and sharing and just keeping, you know, a pulse on what's happening and what's next. Great. I'm glad we have one listener. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Definitely. You know, it's really interesting how people say they they listen, they listen to other podcasts. And I've struggled in the last couple years to consume content because I'm so busy creating content. Well, you're listening to the podcast to edit it. That's yeah. a lot of time yeah. to edit and get all right, that. Right, right. So that's our podcast. And it's uh, you know, all the other creative work that I put out, videos and you know, my own videos and, and other things like that. I've chatted with other content creators about this, and they also have the same struggle. And one of my friends, is a, he's a copy editor, and he's like, wow, you know, I, I read so much that I haven't had a chance to read a novel of my own choosing in two mm-hmm. years. I haven't finished a book in two years. And I'm like, wow, you know, I'm in of the same ilk. I haven't picked up something. Sometimes, you know, I get into the zone of snacking on whatever articles Google decides to serve me. Mm-hmm. Right. That's um, dangerous. Watch out it's, for that. It's quite <laughs> dangerous. But if, if I'm going to let go and go do work, then I'm creating content. And it's like in my mind, I don't know, there's, the cup is overflowing in such a way that I'm just putting out podcasts and videos and so on. And I think it's a struggle that a lot of content developers have as well. And I want to make sure that I don't fall into this pit of not knowing, not educating myself of what's happening. Yeah, I mean, um, there's some really good technology podcasts, and I feel like everybody has such a different style but at the end of the day, you know, content is king. At the end of the day. Yeah. What what topics would you like to see on this podcast going forward? I mean, just because of my background, I'm I'm always really interested in how people make decisions. Mm-hmm. That's something that I think is is fascinating to me. It's an organizational issue, but it's also kind of a, a culture and leadership issue. And I think as Ampere grows. I'm really interested in knowledge sharing within the company, how we're going to do that. As we start going into people's data centers, I think being able to have that dialogue with people using our product, and that could be really interesting mm-hmm. and and fun, not just from an adoption point of view, but for us learning as well. What are, what are the pain points? Um, almost like a, you know, 
a UX researcher going out yeah. in the field to see like how are people interacting with this and what are they really learning and finding. I know we have a robust developer program, but maybe the podcast can kind of work alongside of that okay. as we. It's know, a very good idea. Yeah, it might, it's fun. And one of my favorite things on Twitter right now is just like a bunch of um, DevOps people saying like, tell me the worst thing that's ever gone wrong. And then these horror stories pour in of like all the things that go, that could possibly go wrong that you'd never think of. And that's, that's the fun stuff. You yeah. know, that's the, the, you know, the wire shorting that, that you yep, didn't yep. anticipate. It's all the things you don't anticipate that are going to, that are going to happen. Yeah. So, and I love, I love hearing those because I, I feel like, you know, you can enjoy from a safe distance. <laughs> What what could possibly happen? Yep, yep. So and awesome. also, I think security is an interesting one. Um, I I think one of the big opportunities for ARM is to um, make some different choices. And and you know, I know there, I know Jeff's out there talking about the noisy neighbor and single threading and like how are we going to do things different that are going to give people peace of mind yep. and are going to offer more secure options. And I know when I listen to Renee, I know that she's deeply concerned with not just security, but privacy. And how do we do that? How do we turn, you know, we're in a world where people think that it's a lost cause. I can never be secure. I can never yeah. be private. I do the best I can, but it's like kind of like it's all over and done with. But maybe it doesn't have to stay that way. And that's a really exciting frontier. So Yeah, that's true. Well, thanks so much for listening. Really appreciated this time to hear a little bit more about Mahesh's story, his background, and the work that he's doing with Ampere Studios. We've had a great discussion. I hope you'll come back for more features of this podcast and more storytelling. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks. Thanks.